Hi, and welcome to Talking Trading. It is Caroline Stephen, financial journalist. Guys, I have to say, I am freshly back from a trip from Greece, where I went for the last five weeks. Just before we start the show, I went to my brother's wedding in a place called the Mani Peninsula, which is in the southern Peloponnese. It's where ancient Sparta used to be located, and it was also the birthplace of the modern Greek Revolution in 1821, when the Greeks finally kicked out the Turks, who had been occupying the country for nearly 400 years. And my brother's wedding was a fairy tale. It was on a clifftop outside, overlooking the Aegean, complete with a shooting star during his speech about his bride. And after that, I went on a Greek extravaganza where I travelled the country and all the ancient classical sites like Mycenae and Delphi and Olympia and Epidaurus and, of course, the Acropolis. And it was magical. It was also fattening at times. I ate loads of Greek food and it did that thing that really good holidays do, which is put your life and priorities into massive perspective and give new reasons to trade and invest and to shoot for your goals. So I am back and I am fresh. Just before I boarded the plane for Greece, I spoke to mentoree Neil Hay from WA, who's a great guy. Louise Bedford and Chris Tate love him. He's got a fantastic sense of humour, as you'll hear in the interview. Neil has had spectacular trading results over 2019. And in the interview today, you'll hear why. He's recently, last year in 2018, completed the Trading Game Mentor Program for the third time. And in today's interview, we talk to him not only about his trading journey, but also his financial journey and how he has evolved and worked through it over the years. Before we go to Neil, Louise Bedford in MindPower today takes a question from another mentoree about profit targeting and whether traders should do it. And Louise answers the question with some very pertinent quotes from the legendary Jesse Livermore. Let's hear Louise now and then we'll hear Neil Hay from WA afterwards. I love getting your questions when you write to me and I'm able to answer on Talking Trading. You see, it does so many people so much more good if I can answer publicly rather than just giving you a one-on-one email answer. Now, I have got an email here from Radley Woodhouse. Radley Woodhouse is an avid listener of Talking Trading. One of the questions he asks, and I'll read it directly, is if you're keeping shares for a medium term 6 to 18 months, do you set a target sell price? E.g., once they've provided a 25% return, do you sell it because then you'd be predicting the peak or do you sell before any downturn in price? Now, an excellent question, Radley. And in the early part of my trading career, yes, shares went up, I sold them, and then I'd look back a month or two later and sometimes be absolutely shocked regarding what I saw. Now, the big one for me with this was Commonwealth Bank, which my broker told me was going to go down. I'd better sell, make sure you exit this one, you don't want to be stuck in it, and... The price I sold at was $11. Now, he predicted that to be the peak. I thought I'd follow 
that backing and unfortunately we know the rest is history. Now let's turn to the wisdom of somebody who went before us, Jesse Livermore. Now you might know that Jesse Livermore was featured in Reminiscences of a Stock Operator by Edwin Lefebvre. I'm not sure how to say his surname. But some of his quotes are so quintessentially brilliant. It would be foolish not to take advantage of that wisdom and apply it to our own trading today. Now, I'll give you perhaps some of these quotes and we'll compare it to this question, Radley. One of his quotes is, Only enter a trade after the action of the market confirms your opinion and then enter promptly. So that's talking about entry. Get in once you have weight of evidence and you're sure, according to your trading plan, that it fulfills your rules. And in fact, in our mentor program, I encourage our traders to have an archetype, which is a look at the perfect trade, the perfect share chart. And once a share that they're looking to get into resembles that archetype, then enter straight away. Now, here's another quote from Jesse. Continue with trades that show you a profit and trades that show a loss. Now, this goes into so many areas. It's not just keeping with a winning trade. It's talking about pyramiding. And it's also saying that as soon as the trade turns over, it's time to exit. Here's another quote. End trades when it is clear that the trend you are profiting from is over. So get out only when the chart tells you to exit, not with your preconceived idea that, hey, it can go up this high, but it can't go any further. So I think we should apply the wisdom of Jesse Livermore. Make sure that you're following the trend all the way through and that you know where your exit point should be before you even get into the trade. Sometimes we think a trade seems high priced, but in just a few months, that price can be exceeded over and over again. So I'll leave you with this quote, Radley, never sell a stock because it seems high priced from Jesse himself. I think there's a lot that we can all learn from that. Hi, I'm Perry Kaufman, and I enjoy listening to Caroline on TalkingTrading.com. It's always a pleasure. Neil Hay from WA. It has a rhyme. Hello and welcome to Talking Trading. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Mr. Neil Hay, I have seen your results for 2019, and they are spectacular. Let's start by asking a little bit about yourself. How long have you been a mentoree in the Trading Game Mentor Program? Okay, sure thing. Um, I, I, I guess I first became aware of Chris and Louise many, many years ago, when uh, probably not long after they first started producing their books. It's something that I've always been interested in. Uh, read their books, liked what I saw. Uh, got involved in their mentor course it's probably the best part of a decade ago. Um, the first first time through the course, I lost interest. And looking back, the reality is I wasn't ready for a lot of uh, what I was hearing at that stage. I left it a few years and carried on in my own pointless adventure, I suppose, going from <laughs> one thing to another. You know, and this is part of a life cycle I think a lot of traders go through. 
and after that, I, uh, I went back to the mentor course, and somehow or other, this time, most, most of what they were, were teaching seemed to be incredibly sensible. I just wondered how much, why that, or how they'd been able to change so much in the preceding few years. Quite, quite spectacular. The second course, that's when I, um, I guess I, I really started taking the whole thing seriously. And, and for, for me, the main thing that caused me to take this, serious, uh, uh, this industry seriously, I suppose, was uh, back in, just prior to the GFC, I, was, I had all of my super funds tied up in the US markets. And uh, I was using a, a, a macro filter at the time, which I think is something I probably got off, off uh, Chris. My macro filter got me out of every investment about 10 days prior to the, uh, the real demise of the GFC, and it kept me out for most of that time. So over, over the GFC, that simple thing of a macro filter uh, allowed me to outperform the market by probably in the vicinity of 40% a year. didn't mean I made 40%. It just means I was sitting in cash while the rest of the market tanked around me. And at that stage, I thought, how can this, why is everyone making this out to be so damn hard? It's incredibly easy. And uh, that, that macro filter was a biggie for me. Moved forward from that, did the, uh, the second course, picked up a lot more stuff on there and really, really started getting serious about the whole thing. And uh, we were fortunate enough to be able to take off and go overseas for a, a number of years. Uh, we bought a boat and sailed it across the Pacific. Oh, and, wow. And the trading plan I was using then, which was a, a, a hybrid of, Chris, of what I learned with Chris and Louise, um, one of the things, most frustrating things about crossing the Pacific is access to internet is woeful, absolutely woeful. So we're, we're all kind of taught, you know, the, you, you can't be more than a, a couple of hours away from internet access if you're going to trade successfully. Well, in our case, we were at, uh, away from internet access in some cases for a couple of months. And my trading results in that year, that one year, one year in particular, were the best they've ever been, and that gave me more food for thought, particularly in terms of the the timing uh, structure that I was using. I was using a daily, a daily trading strategy up until that, but with this particular thing, I thought, well, what's the point of that? I'm making more money without actually being there, so maybe I'm my own worst enemy. And ever since then, I've been on a weekly trading. Um, my strategy is based around a, a weekly one. Anyway, I came back um, and continued trading my own strategy, and it was working really, really well. And uh, the, there's this doubt in the back of, I think, a lot of people's minds when they have some good results. And I thought, is this just, is this just luck, or is there, is there some real skill behind it? So I redid Chris and Louise's course last year, and, uh, and it reinforced just about everything I was doing. I, I wouldn't necessarily say I came away with any lightning bolt revelations, but... For me, the main part about doing it for a third time was this assurance that the structure that I was using was so was sound, it was robust, and the fact that it was working was was not just a fluke. And uh, as you mentioned, the results I've had this year are, um, uh, are certainly far far better than I had ever expected. Can we just do a tick box of some of the structures that were working really well that were were confirmed in the course last year? This is not a complex game. The complexity is the bit between people's ears. But the first thing is, even if your selection of stocks is random, so long as you have risk mitigation strategies in place, such as stop losses, 
you're going to put the odds in your favour. That's the first one. And the other one, which for me is the, the biggie, is the macro filter for determining when to be out of the market and when to start getting into the market. A combination of those two things alone, but I'm convinced that you could throw darts at, a, at, a, at the stock sheet pages and using those two things alone come up with a, a positive expectancy trading system. So your results are so impressive for 2019. Is that because the ASX has had a very good run since January? Well, yes, yes and no, it has. What I found with my own trading is that the stocks that I tend to be involved in move somewhere between three and four times what the market does. So if the market's going south, I, I go south in a hell of a hurry, but my, my stop losses get me out and that's fine. And then I just wait for my macro filter to get me back in. But when the stock, the market goes forward, I'm, you know... I, if there's a, a day where the market goes up half a percent, invariably I'm going up one and a half to two percent, and that makes a difference. And that's predicated on the, in many cases, the capitalisation, market capitalisation of those stocks. I, I'm not interested in the um, big cap stocks. They just stocks. They just don't work for me. Uh, see no point in being involved in them at all. Let's talk about shares and property. I know you're a passionate investor of both. Neil Hay from WA. Yeah. Let's talk yeah. about being spread across both asset classes. Uh, look, I, I, I started out when I was, I was a, I'm a New Zealander. In my childhood, growing up, there was this very, very famous New Zealander called Bob Jones, who's now Sir Bob Jones. And he was, uh, he was one of the New Zealand's real estate gods, I suppose, if you like. He was a, his first development. He was 25 years old, and he built a five-story office building in Wellington, which he leased out to the um, New Zealand tax office, I think, and he just went on to bigger and bigger things from there. And uh, I, I, I read his, his book when I was in, in my early teens, and I thought, this, this, so much of it makes sense. Like, I'm a mathematically kind of biased chap, and for me, the, the, the leverage available on real estate combined with the psychological aspects of mums and dads owning the vast majority of residential real estate. Way, way, way back I was contemplating, you know, should it be should I invest in property or shares? This is when I was in the 1820s and so on. And for me, the what it came down to then was the level of gearing you could get on the property market was so much so much better. You didn't have the risk of margin calls. You were in a market that was psychologically underpinned by uh, an extreme degree of security, which is your nervous nellies that own houses. You know, the last thing they ever want to do is, is lose their house, so they do, do all sorts of things. So it struck me as being an ideal situation. And, uh, and, and it was for many, many years, um, as we all know, but of recent times it's... Uh, is, hasn't been faring so well, and particularly when we were over overseas, we were turning a blind eye to all things business because we were just having too much fun. <laughs> By the time we got back to Australia, um, a lot of a lot of our real estate holdings are in WA, and the, the WA market has just suffered horrendously. And uh, I, I guess now I'm a, more of an ad, advocate of the share market than I am the property market, and that's just a, a feature of time. If the market goes the property market ever goes back to its historical norms then i would swing back to being a property advocate so you're married to a super competitive overachieving teacher and property investor at the, <laughs> <laughs> the moment you're both gathering cash flow 
to avoid touching your capital so you can leave a legacy for your children. Yeah, there's two, two types of legacies I want to leave. One is easier than the other. Um, my, my, the main type of legacy I would like to leave is uh, to leave them with the capacity to catch fish on their own. Um, that's proving to be rather difficult. The other type of legacy is a legacy where I just throw them some fish. That's obviously pretty easy. I just have, all I have to do is die. Um, <laughs> this, this legacy thing is, you know, I know I've, I've felt this way for, for many, many years. And, um, you know, I've always, I guess, and I, I'm not sure if this is just unique to my own personality or, or what, but I have felt somewhat divorced from the asset base that we've got. And I've tended to feel that, that it's not actually mine. It's, it's something that I am the custodian of. I have a, a responsibility and a duty to nurture it, to grow it, and to assure that it survives multi-generationally to be able to do the most possible good somewhere. And maybe down the track, uh, one of my um, descendants will develop a, a wonderful philanthropical vein or a, a, a something that they can do that's world-shattering in terms of improving the existence of mankind, and hopefully be, there'll be some money there to support that. So, you know, for, for me, it's, so much of this has just been a, about the, the capacity to master a game than it is about making money. If I make money along the, the road, that's, that's brilliant. That just means I've been able to learn some lessons. But uh, ideally, I'd like to teach the kids a bit about this. The fact that, unfortunately, in this day and age, they need to learn about it, uh, for me, is one of the massive failings of the current uh, a governmental system in Australia on both sides. I think it's an absolute travesty that we are requiring the vast majority of the population who have no interest, no skills, no, no expertise, and in many cases a totally wrong mindset to be forced into a position where they have to look after their own financial future. That's not the way it should be. There's going to be a train wreck after train wreck after train wreck of people out there. You know, I'm fortunate that I'm interested in this. My brain works that way. Um, but this is by no means a common thing. So, let's, uh, so, let, so, Neil, let's talk about mindset. You mentioned mindset. And I know you're fascinated at how money transfers from the hands of some people to the hands of other people. Um, I, I guess a lot of it, uh, I, I'm an analytical person. Um, we Anyone getting involved in money is a, is a psychological challenge. There's plenty of books on that. Um, for me, though, I tend to be more of an analytical rather than an emotional person. I prefer working on my own. Um, uh, my, when my, my wife and I both used to tr trade options way back in, oh, this is probably 10, 15 years ago, options and um, currencies and a few other things. It didn't work, let's put it that way. Every morning it's like... Oh, it'll come back, it'll come back, you know, I can just feel it in my bones. And I was going, no, it doesn't work like that. So anyway, now I'm off and I'm just doing my own thing and it's far better. For, for me, it really is about just being able to sit there, get the noise out of your head. Chris talks about this as, a lot as well. Just turn off the damn news. Get rid of the newspapers. Um, the talking heads, they don't know what, the, trust me, I've, having worked in banks before, the talking heads have no idea what they're talking about. And in many cases, there's some uh, vested interest behind what they're saying. You, all, you can, all you can do is build a plan, test your plan, trade your plan, and that's it. 
doesn't worry about you know, don't worry about anything else that's going on. If, if you if you cannot rely on your plan, and instead you have to rely on things outside of your plan, then you're not ready to be trading your plan. Nell, hey, I think that is a beautiful point to leave it on. Thank you so much for your time coming on to Talking Trading with your smiling head after the flu. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> And that's it for Neil Hay from WA on today's episode of Talking Trading. Guys, stay tuned next week for a really fun and entertaining guest. World memory champion Chester Santos joins us with some really fun ideas and games about how to improve your cognitive memory. He's fantastic. I look forward to seeing you guys next week. Take care. As always, if you like this show, please be sure to tell a friend. This is super important because word of mouth is the most powerful way that people can get in touch with us. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcast and make sure you give us a big fat five-star review because it helps people find us. You'll also notice that Talking Trading doesn't use sponsors and barely advertisers. This is because Chris Tate and Louise Bedford fund this show from tradinggame.com.au. So to keep on funding it, we need to get the word out. If you'd like to get Louise's five-part free e-course, register at tradinggame.com.au. The views represented on Talking Trading are general in nature and do not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Before acting on any of the information, consider its appropriateness in regards to your own situation. Want to know the hottest sectors in the Aussie market? Now's your chance. Download my free Hot or Not special report from tradinggame.com.au slash hot or not. That website again, tradinggame.com.au slash hot or not.